Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Ian Abernethy Podcast. You can watch videos and listen to other podcast episodes by visiting www.ianabernethy.com. So, without further ado, here's Ian Abernethy. Hello everyone, I'm Ian Abernethy and welcome to the ianabernethy.com podcast. Uh, The first thing I should uh, probably do is apologise for the gap between the last podcast and uh, this podcast. I've just simply been so busy, especially with the the travelling, you know, been to America and around Europe and up and down the UK. So um, it just simply haven't had the time to record it up until uh, up until now. I had a couple of emails from people asking if the podcasts were over, if they were finished. Uh, just rest assured that I'm, I'm never going to stop these. I, I love putting the podcast together. Uh, lots of people like them. Lots of people listen to them. So um, if there ever is a gap again in the future, you just know that I'm, I'm, I'm busy and there will be another uh, podcast uh, forthcoming. Uh, just before we get into the main uh, subject, I've got a couple of little announcements. Uh, the first one is that I've started doing uh, residential courses small groups we're talking about kind of 10 12 students uh we book this place a lovely place with our own private dojo to like in a farm uh we all go there we train it's just for us no one else is there with us uh, and i put one of those up on um the facebook and my website when we we organized it and it was full up within a matter of minutes you know there was loads of people falling over themselves to uh, to get places so please uh, if you are interested in that keep an eye open for those and the best way to do that is to subscribe to the newsletters on the website you can just follow it you can see the click the uh, the join the newsletter banner and obviously uh, facebook which is facebook.com forward slash ian abernethy and twitter which is at ian abernethy um speaking of seminars uh, chris wilder uh, is back in the UK in November of this year. Obviously, Chris is based in Seattle in the USA. Uh, has written some excellent books on uh, bunkai and, and practical martial arts. Uh, he also, along with uh, Lawrence Kane, does the Martial Secrets podcast, uh, which I always say is the second best martial arts podcast there is. <laughs> and, uh, Chris is a good friend of mine. Uh, like Chris a lot. Love teaching with him. So uh, if you like what I do, you'll you'll like what Chris does. You know. Um, so we're both teaching a seminar together in November. So if you pop along to my website, that's ianabernethy.com, you can find details of that there. Uh, just check out the uh, the news section. It's all up there. And just on the seminars generally, uh, remember that you can find the details on the website uh, under the seminar section. You'll see seminars. Click on it. It'll say seminar dates. Click on that and you'll it'll give you a list of uh, all the ones for the next few months. And obviously, if you stay subscribed to the newsletters, when new ones are added, um, you'll get to know about those automatically. And the final thing I just want to quickly talk about is that uh, some of you will oh, do follow me on Facebook and things. Well, remember, I posted a video by Brad uh, Jones and others are called Dojo Blues. And it got a massive response. Everybody loved it. Really I mean, great blue song, really kind of humorous video, absolutely fantastic. So uh, I talked with uh, Brad, and he's kindly allowed me to include the Dojo Blues song in this podcast. So this is our first musical section. So after the main 
podcast, the main part of it. Uh, if you hang around to the end, you'll be able to hear the the song. And if you haven't heard it yet, you're going to love it. I guarantee you'll be be listening to this over and over again. So massive thanks to Brad for allowing me to uh, to post it, and very you know thanks to Kim Dunn as well, who's the person who. Uh, uh, made me uh, aware of it so it's you know brilliant and obviously you know tell your friends about it and, and you've got to watch the video just do do a web search for it on um, YouTube and uh, let's get you know the likes up you know a massive amount because it's absolutely brilliant you'll love it so anyway okay uh, the main podcast what we're going to talk about this month is uh, money and its relationship to the martial arts it's one of those things that we we can't escape from it's uh, always a controversial topic to discuss it regularly comes up on the uh, the forum of the website so i thought it was about time that we uh, we did a uh, podcast on it so uh, without further ado i'll do the usual and hand you over to myself and we'll discuss uh, money and the martial arts In this podcast, I want to talk about the ever-controversial subject of money and its relationship to the martial arts. Now, I think it would be fair to say that everyone listening to this will have at some point parted with their hard-earned cash to further their martial arts or self-protection training. Um, And that can be, you know, a payment for lessons, a purchase of protective equipment, hall hire, seminar attendance, uh, buying a book or some other kind of instructional material, you know, whatever. Now, even while this podcast is free to listen to, if not to produce, um, at the very least, you'll have bought the MP3 player, the computer, the iPhone, or whatever it is you're listening to this on. There's simply no getting away from the fact that there's an inescapable relationship between money and the martial arts. Now, the first thing to address is that attitudes to this relationship vary greatly across the globe. You know, And this can be due to that particular country's attitude to money or their attitude to the martial arts or a mix of the two. So to give a couple of examples, there's only a very small number of professional martial arts instructors in Germany. Uh, teaching the martial arts in that part of the world is not seen as a viable way to earn a living, and that's probably because it isn't. Uh, You can contrast that with the USA, where full-time instructors and dojos are very common. So here in the UK, things are probably somewhere between the two. Um, I mean, mean, culturally, the British have a strange attitude to money, where it's generally seen as something vulgar to discuss. You know, as an example, if you would ask a British person uh, how much they earn, that would be seen as a very personal question, where in other parts of the world, there'd be no issue with that at all, you know. Um, there are also some hangovers from the class system in the UK where the amount you earn can define you as either one of us or other. Um, so although attitudes have changed greatly over the last few decades, social mobility in the UK is probably not what it should be. And income is still seen as something that defines your group. So someone who earns quite a bit can, uh, of money can be deemed other by those who consider themselves working class. Uh, likewise, uh, middle and upper class people can look down on those who earn a small amount of money or have you know meagre standard of living. In the UK, martial arts can span you know all the classes really, with people from all gar- backgrounds pursuing them. Now that's a, different to pursuits such as golf or tennis, which are typically regarded as sports that middle class uh, people will play, or rugby league, which is typically regarded as a working class game. You know, with things like polo being the sole reserve of the very wealthy and upper classes. Um, but one of the things I like about the martial arts I- in the UK is, and is that there are very few other pursuits where you get people from all backgrounds training together. So the social side of the martial arts is often very positive with people from right across the social spectrum uh, mixing together. 
But the point is that attitudes to money in the martial arts vary greatly from place to place and within uh, various social groups. So in this podcast, there's going to be no attempt to definitively state how things are or should be. Any attempt to do that's going to fail. Instead, I want to try to open up some of the issues and give my own personal take on things. So you know, please remember as well that this is the Ian Abernethy podcast, so what you'll always get is my view on things. If you want other people's views on things, you need to listen to their podcasts or read their articles or whatever. You know, I'm not here to give a balanced view, whatever that is, on anything, but to give my views. Um, I don't for one second pretend that my take on things is definitive. And I'm certainly not saying anyone uh, listening to this should take what's said to be the final word on any topic. Uh, people need to think for themselves and come to conclusions that work for them based on their own experiences. I mean, I'm saying this because in almost every podcast I do, I get someone writing to me because they're outraged that I did not present their pet theory or viewpoint, uh, or I said that I disagreed with it, or they took offence in some other way. The thing is that it should always be remembered that um, in everything I do, I give my view. It is not my job to help promote views that I don't support or views that I disagree with. That's the job of those that hold those views. You know, so please don't get upset if I say anything that you disagree with, as I'm sure to do on a podcast uh, on money due to all the cultural and personal differences surrounding this topic. Anyway, so on, on with the show. <laughs> uh, the question we should probably address first is whether payment should be given for martial arts instruction. So, you know, during my time in the martial arts, I've seen many people express some very strong views on this subject. There are some who strongly believe that charging for martial arts instruction uh, makes the art and, and into a commodity to be sold, um, which the field devalues it. And it's often also felt that the teacher-student relationship is inverted when money becomes involved. I think we'd agree it's a teacher that should be in charge, but if we adhere to the customer is always right, and we acknowledge that the teacher is effectively a paid employee of the student, I mean, is it even possible to teach in an authentic and honest way? On the other side of the argument, there's the reality that the teacher has had to invest their time and money to gain the skills they have. I mean, in other points, you know, the dojo needs to be rented, equipment is needed, the dojo needs to keep the lights on, and is it right that the teacher is expected to pay all those bills? If the student gets everything for free, is there a chance that they will view the instruction that they are receiving as being devoid of worth? If you look at almost any other skill it's possible to acquire, no one would suggest uh, that it had no monetary value. I mean, for me, I was taught how to be an electrician by trainers and craftsmen who appeared to teach me. Uh, when I was qualified as an electrician, I was paid to fix and maintain various bits of machinery. No one ever suggested that I should work for free in order to maintain the purity of the craft. We all regularly pay people for their services, teachers, doctors via our taxis, uh, plumbers, builders, painters, internet hosts, shopkeepers, farmers, etc. are all paid for the skills they have. They have invested their time to learn those skills. And when they spend their time on us, um, you know, we, we personally benefit from those skills. Uh, we get paid for our time so we can pay those professionals. And then why should the martial arts be any different? Uh, the strongest argument uh, why martial arts should be a special case is that there can be a financial incentive for teachers to drop standards in order to maximise the income that can be gained from students. And there's absolutely no doubt that this happens. 
I'm sure everyone listening to this will be aware of clubs that have very low standards and very high fees. Um, regardless of how good a student is in one of those clubs, they will pass gradings with ease. As unethical teachers fear losing students and hence income if they were to fail those students. They teach low quality martial arts but lead them to believe it's a high quality commodity and charge accordingly. However, I think what should be acknowledged is that it's the unethical behaviour of the teacher that's the issue. The principle of payment for instruction does not cause or demand unethical behaviour. If I were to get a plumber to do a job on my house and they did a first-rate job and did exactly what they said they would, then I'd pay them a fair price. That's only right. If, however, they bodged the job and told me they had done quality work when they hadn't, then that's unethical. Now, I would suggest it's exactly the same with the martial arts. It's not the fact that people get paid, it's whether they are being honest about what they are getting paid for. When students come to a teacher, they are generally expecting to get you know, high-quality instruction. If a teacher is knowingly delivering substandard instruction in order to maximise their income, then that's not acceptable. You know, it's just not right. However, if a teacher is giving good quality instruction, then I think it's entirely right that they are paid for their time. Before we move on, I think we need to mark the distinction between those who knowingly teach substandard martial arts and those who know no different. If an unethical teacher teaches a student rubbish, all the while leading that student to believe it's good quality stuff, then if that student goes on to teach that same rubbish, still believing it to be good quality, then can we hold them accountable? You know, it's a tricky one. And I would suggest the best way to avoid this problem is to ensure that high-quality uh, martial arts, that high-quality alternative, is highly visible to both current martial artists and prospective new students. If people can see what good-quality martial arts are, then the cowboys will be exposed for what they are. Everyone will know rubbish because they've, when they see it because they've seen good quality. No one knowingly wants to study rubbish, so those of us who care about the standard of the art need to ensure we provide the alternative. And it's here that I'm going to express you know, a potentially controversial view. Um, that those who hold the opinion that payment should never be received for martial arts instruction are helping those unethical teachers who don't care about the arts and don't care about their students, other than how much money they can get from them. So, you know. Now let me explain my logic. You know, we live in a world where money is needed to do things. The unethical teacher will have the money in order to pr promote themselves and what they do. The good instructor who gets on their moral high horse and refuses to charge won't have the money to compete. The unethical teacher will be able to afford the slick advertising, you know, the high-profile adverts, the great facilities. Uh, the good instructor who he refuses to accept payment will be stuck in cheap halls relying on word of mouth for students. Now, word of mouth can be a very effective way of getting the message out, of course, but it tends to favour the people with the most mouths. You know, the bottom line is that the good instructor who believes is unethical to charge will be left unknown with a handful of students, while those who teach rubbish attract all the new students and have the financial muscle to dominate public consciousness. The result is the domination of crappy martial arts, and who wants that? If we want good martial arts to dominate, then we need to provide the alternative, and you need money in order to do that. It's just the way of the world. So by charging a fair price for good quality instruction, the good instructor will then be able to compete with unethical instructors. And that's the last thing the unethical ones want. Those that state that good instructors would never accept 
payment for instruction are actually helping the poor quality and unethical instructors dominate. Now, I would suggest that's probably the key dividing line. There are those that understand money is needed to further good quality martial arts. And there are those that use poor quality martial arts to make money. Now, in both instances, money changes hands, but the motivations and the results, the effect on the martial arts, are very different. Now, most listening to this will be fully aware that I'm a full-time martial artist, and hence, you know, they may dismiss my thought as being purely motivated by self-interest. Now, I've even read things where people have dismissed every argument I've ever made and the totality of my work on the basis that I make money from it. Now, the val validity of an, an argument is neither validated or disproved on that basis, of course, but, you know, it, it does raise the question of motivation. Now, in my case, I was bit by the martial arts bug in childhood. You know, I'd, I'd come home from school and I'd train for hours each day, and the fascination for the arts is something that's only grown stronger uh, with the passing of, of time. I think it was just over 10 years ago where I'd reached the point where my training and teaching schedule was being limited by the fact that I had to go to work five days a week. Um, I had to find a way to make the martial arts provide me with a living wage, you know, something that was capable of supporting me and my three children. Uh, the alternative would have been for my personal development as a martial artist to be limited, and I wouldn't be able to teach anyone outside my twice-weekly club sessions. Additionally, there'd be no free stuff like this podcast because I simply would not have had the time to, to make them. Um, now, by going professional, I believe I've been better able to serve the martial arts. People like what I do, and they like the fact that it helps them do what they do. Uh, I wouldn't be able to travel and teach in the way I do if I was not paid to do so. Now, I'll make no secret of the fact that I love what I do. I really enjoy the martial arts and consider myself extremely blessed that I get to spend so much time on them because I don't have to go to a day job. I mean, I can spend 40 hours more a week on the martial arts because people value what I do and are prepared to pay me for some of it. Um, so I became a full-time martial artist because of the love I have for the martial arts. Now, sure, I make money from teaching, but the money is always, you know, it's a means to an end. It allows me to do what I love and serve others who share my passion in a way that I simply couldn't do if I had a day job. I, mean, I have a, you know, as a father, I have a fundamental responsibility to provide for me and mine. So, failing coming into a huge amount of money through a lottery win or something similar, I'll continue to charge for what I do. But for me, the great thing is, I would gladly do it for free, you know, if, if I could, if I was in that position, because I love what I do to that degree. And, and that's how I feel it should be for all martial artists. Uh, money is the servant that helps us further the cause of the martial arts. If the love of money trumps the love of martial arts, then we have problems. Um, now, this leads me to the next issue I want to discuss, which is self-investment. Uh, to be the best possible martial arts teachers we can be, we need to be the best possible martial artists we can be. Instructors need to invest in themselves. They will need to spend hours and hours training, and they will need to spend time and money traveling to get the best quality instruction possible. Now, it would not be right for the teacher to make such an investment for the students to then get all that information without having to make an investment of their own. The teacher is right to ask the students to pay for that information that's so, you know, that can be reimbursed. And crucially, so they can further invest in themselves for their own benefit and the benefits of their students. Now, because I don't have a day job, I've been able to devote lots of time to travel and train with the very best instructors. That's had, you know, it's definitely enhanced me as a martial artist and hence I'm better able to help my student reach higher levels. 
And I know of many others who adopt a similar approach. You know, I'm following the example of the martial artists that I really admire, the ones I, you know, one day I want to be like. They never rest on the laurels and they continue to invest in themselves. They seek to endlessly improve and that not only makes them better martial artists, but it makes them better instructors too. And there's no doubt, you know, being full-time makes that job, you know, a lot easier. Now, there are, of course, many great instructors who are not professional in the sense that martial arts are not their only means of income, but they're also strong self-investors. However, you know, in any case, if you're not charging students for instruction, then it's the instructor who's left with the bills to pay, while the student gets all the information for free. It's therefore obvious that the instructor is far more likely to value that information than the student they are imparting it to. Now, to give an example of this, I recall um, a few years ago, I was chatting with one instructor, and he told me that uh, a student had told him he couldn't afford training fees for that month because he was short of cash. So, being a you know, kind-hearted guy, the instructor quite rightly said, well, okay, that's fine, you know, you keep on training and just pay me whatever you can, whenever you can. Now, all was well until the instructor learnt that the same student had gone away for a drunken boys' weekend shortly afterwards, and in the process had spent many times what they would have done on class fees for that month. Um, so that was the end of that student's martial arts career with that particular instructor. But, you know, the point is it's obvious that the student placed a far higher value on drinking with his friend than the sacrifices the instructor had made in order to gain their knowledge and skills. Um, there's always a danger that people will confuse free with valueless. So while the level of payment needs to be such that the martial arts remain open to everybody, I'm of the view that instruction always being free can cause uh, problems because the instructor is left alone to foot the bills. And there's also the danger that students don't place value on the knowledge that their instructor has and obviously wishes to impart. So as I said, you know, moments ago, students paying for the instructor's hard-earned knowledge ensures that a value is placed on that knowledge. And it also gives the instructor resources, in terms of time and money, um, that allow them to further themselves and hence their usefulness to their students. On the other side of the coin, we have instructors who are teaching having gained only the most rudimentary of skills and knowledge. So, you know, I'm sure you do too, but I know a number of teachers, in inverted commas, who are running classes with as little as six months involvement in the martial arts. And in, in some cases are charging as much, or if not more, than instructors with many decades of experience. Now, I personally regard this to be unethical because they don't have the knowledge, skills or experience to be meaningful instructors. They're charging money for something that's almost valueless. Now, again, it's not the fact that money is changing hand that's, uh, that's inherently unethical. You know, it's right that students reimburse good instructors for their teaching time and the investment that they've made in acquiring the skills and knowledge that's being shared. What is unethical is that someone who has not acquired any meaningful skills uh, is charging for knowledge that they don't have. You know, they're charging for a service that they're not able to provide. I mean, so there, there are perfectly legitimate reasons to criticise the connection between money and the martial arts in some instances. But that doesn't mean it's always wrong. As we discussed earlier, money changing hands and being used to promote good quality martial arts and to help develop instructors and students still further is a very positive thing in my view. Um, yeah, before we move on, I, I just want to touch on one other reason why some criticise money being made from martial arts instruction, if we're honest about it. And that reason is jealousy. Because it's not just about martial skill either. To effectively teach the martial arts, a person needs to have more attributes than just martial skill. 
the need to be a good communicator, a good organiser. And as controversial as it may be, they need a good head for business. Those that lack one or more of these attributes will often state that money should never be made from the martial arts. And, and that's simply because it's something they're unable to do themselves. It's not a position they legitimately hold. Um, they see others with bigger groups and more influence, and instead of trying to advance themselves to a similar position by acquiring the non-martial skills that they lack, or even you know delegating those roles to others who do have those skills, uh, they choose to remain small and uninfluential. If they genuinely have talent, this is a great shame, as the martial arts as a whole would no doubt benefit from the sharing of their knowledge. And as we discussed earlier, you do need money to effectively do that. Um, now, I recently had a discussion with uh, an instructor from a small school, you know, and he told me that his art was not a product. That was the word he used. It's not a product. And he and his fellow practitioners were glad that their school of karate was only practiced by a handful of people. Now, I asked him if he felt this school was any good, and he assured me it was, and he told me all about it. And from what he said, you know, I, I agreed with him that it would be better if more karate could practice in a, a way that they did. Uh, it was then that I pointed out to him the inherent contradiction in what he was saying. On the one hand, he only wanted his art to be practiced by a few people. But on the other hand, he believed in his school and he felt it would be better for um, karate if more people practiced in line with what they did. Well, you can't have it both ways. If he felt that the karate of the masses needed improving, but he wanted to hide away a viable alternative, then he's part of the problem, not the solution. You know, if something's worth sharing, why be so selfish? Why keep it hidden away? It loses nothing by being practiced in greater numbers. Uh, why leave the charlatans and the MacDojos to have the influence and the majority of new practitioners? Um, now, there's no doubt that there are low-quality groups and instructors who have disproportionate influence, because although they lack martial arts skills, they have good communication, good organization, and good business skills. Now, how much better would it be for the good guys if they embraced these other attributes instead of denying their importance and decrying them as martially immoral? Now, like the arts we practice, these things are only immoral if used for immoral purposes. They are moral if used in a good cause. We need more people to be working hard to ensure good quality martial arts are front and foremost. Hiding away in the shadows with nothing for company but a misguided sense of moral superiority doesn't help anybody. Honesty and humility are important attributes, but they shouldn't be confused with a lack of belief in oneself and one's art. If we believe in what we do, then we need to share it with others so they can benefit from it too. You know, we need time and money and business skills to do that. It's just the way it is. Uh, paying students and an instructor who wants to put the arts first and foremost can help ensure the best possible instruction and equipment and venues for students. And it provides a visible and viable alternative to poor quality, unethical instructors who only want to get as much money as possible out of the students. So um, I think I'll start to kind of wrap things up with some uh, specific personal viewpoints. You know, so, like, so very little in life is, is truly free. So each one of these podcasts takes me hours to, you know, to write it out, to put it together, to edit it, add all the music, all, the, all of that, you know. Um, and yet I do it free of charge. Nobody pays for these. And as I've said before, you know, these, that makes these podcasts free to listen to it doesn't make them free to make you know they take time equipment and money to produce and make available um, so it's those who organize and come to my seminars and buy my books and dvds that make these podcasts possible 
if I were not paid for those things, I would not have the time and resources to make these podcasts. I'd be busy working as an electrician, and I simply would not have the time to write and record these. So if you like these podcasts, but remain of the view that money has no place in the martial arts, then I ask you to consider the logistics and finances that make these podcasts possible. If everyone took that view, then there would be no podcasts, no free online videos, no website, no Facebook page, no seminars, no books, no DVDs, as I need to be providing for my children by other means. Um, another personal issue around money uh, and the martial arts, for me, um, and others like me, is the issue of internet piracy. There's sure to be some listening to this who regard it as being totally okay to download books, DVDs, music, movies from dubious websites, you know. You know, I've spent tens of thousands of pounds and countless hours uh, over the years producing my books and DVDs. However, there's some who feel they can upload and download that material for free. Now, as I've discussed, if I don't get paid for my work, I need to divert my time to uh, some other work that I will get paid for. So if you like what I do, you can ensure more of it comes everybody's way by honestly paying for the stuff that I do charge for. Um, I have a very low opinion of those who steal from me and mine, because that's what it is. Internet piracy is theft. Uploading and downloading material that people have spent time and money producing is theft. And if you do it, then you're a thief. Every month I have to waste time and money combating piracy when I could spend, spend that time uh, producing free and paid-for material for my honest supporters. Now, I'm very grateful to those who support me in what I do. But, you know, on the other side, I'll have nothing to do with those who've stolen from me and helped others to do the same. I refuse to have any form of involvement with those uh, that we've caught over the years because they're literally undermining my ability to support my family. Uh, some have even tried to argue with me, you know, look, I've done nothing wrong and everybody does it. Uh, but my view is, you know, that they wouldn't feel the same if they were getting unpaid for their hard work. I also remain firmly of the view that a lack of morality in the masses is never a justification for a lack of morality in the individual. You know, thankfully, you know, the vast majority of people are honest when it comes to supporting me and mine, and uh, many are quick to report any instances of piracy when they find them, which enables us to, you know, keep on top of things, you know, so, um, a few legal letters and everything like that, and it generally gets sorted pretty quickly, but it does irritate me that, you know, people do feel they can steal from me. Um... Anyway, there are many other issues we could explore around this. It's a huge topic, but I think we've probably covered um, most of the key points. Um, so to quickly conclude, there can be severe problems if an instructor chooses to drop standards, fails to develop their own skills, and puts profit margins above providing quality instruction for their students. However, there can also be problems if the better martial arts instructors decide to teach for free. The instructor will be left bearing all the costs, Students can fail to properly value what is being taught. There will be problems around providing good quality equipment and training venues. And those instructors will not have the resources to promote what they do, which can leave unethical instructors with all the financial muscle to dominate the public awareness of the martial arts. Money in itself is not unethical. If good instructors acknowledge that good communication, good organisation and a head for business are valuable assets, then they will be in a position to advance what they do and provide the alternative to the McDojo. We do the arts no favours when we decide to forfeit the battle for public awareness and leave the field wide open for unethical and greedy instructors through misplaced morality. You know, in short, you know, a good price for good instruction is good for the martial arts. 
Well, I hope you uh, enjoyed that and, and found that of interest. Uh, as I promised you in the introduction, we're now going to do uh, a musical section for the first time in the podcast. Uh, Brad Jones and uh, wrote this uh, this song called uh, Dojo Blues. Uh, it's 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 brilliant. You really, I guarantee you'll all love this. Musically, it's very good. Uh, anyone who's ever trained in the martial arts, the lyrics are bang on. Really funny. So uh, thanks again to Brad for allowing me to include it in the podcast. And of course, do be sure to go to YouTube, uh, do a web search for Dojo Blues, uh, find the video and watch the video again because it's, it's absolutely fantastic. You'll you'll love it. So uh, okay, here we are. Here's uh, the song Dojo Blues. <laughs> Got my black belt, got my gear Going down the dojo, get the crap beat out of me I'm moving to the left, I'm moving to the right Well, something tells me I'm gonna lose this fight Cause I'm blue Got those old dojo blues Well, I'm blue Got the old dojo blues Begin to swell. I'm black and blue all over. You'd think I wasn't well. I got bruises on my kneecaps, bruises on my toes, bruises on my knuckles. Got a bruise on my nose. Well, I'm blue. Oh, yeah. Got those old dojo blues. Well, I'm blue. I'm so easily bruised. Got those old dojo blues Got those old dojo blues 
you'd think I was abused Got those old dojo blues See, uh, what did I tell you? I told you you'd like it. Um, brilliant, isn't it? Um, you've also got to check out the video on uh, YouTube. So if you just, again, search Dojo Blues. Absolutely fantastic. And thanks once again to uh, to Brad for allowing me to include that. You know, so uh, that's fantastic. I love it. Um, okay, so thank you very much to, for uh, listening to this month's uh, podcast. Uh, I say I will be back with more soon. I want to do one on uh, the one blow, one kill idea and how that applies to kind of uh, traditional martial arts and um, the kind of karate ethos and also how um, we're doing one on cult-like behaviour So and, and also how that um, can manifest in the martial arts and things we should all be wary of and, and, and watch out for. I also want to do another question and answer one soon because they're always very popular and it's been a little while since we did uh, we did the last one. So, um, yeah, thanks very uh, thanks loads again for uh, listening in. Every time we do these, we get more and more listeners. So thank you very much to everyone who's uh, spreading the words on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Uh, I'll obviously see some of you soon at the uh, seminars. Uh, for those that I don't see, then I'll be back uh, next month with another podcast. So thanks once again for all your support, and I'll speak to you soon. Okay, take care now. Bye-bye.